Public sector workers in health, education and social services are back on strike after rejecting Wednesday's offer. The Common Front Union, representing 420,000 members, has planned their work stoppage for the next seven days. It's pretty important because it's to send a message uh, to the government that the salary uh, updates that they are offering us are ridiculous. I think a lot of it is decades of accumulated frustration at the gradual but constant decline of public services. People are trying to do their jobs and they're not given the, the tools that they need to do it. Quebec now has partial deals in principle with the unions of the so-called Common Front, which launched a series of strikes starting in November. Welcome to Spring Radio, a podcast for socialist ideas in action. I'm Sara Shaheed, Spring member and co-host of the Spring Radio podcast. Today's episode is about the common front strategy used by Quebec this winter to win major gains for public sector workers. Listeners tuning in from outside of Quebec may be surprised to learn that more than half a million public sector workers went on strike in November and December. It was the largest strike in Quebec's history and one of the largest in the history of Canada. This strike is important not only because of its size, but also because of its success. The Common Front Coalition, made up of four unions of education and healthcare workers, has been able to negotiate a 17.4% wage increase over five years. Members are currently considering whether or not to accept this tentative deal. The 17.4% is nearly double the offer that the Quebec government originally made to them, and much more than public sector unions in other provinces have been able to negotiate. Listeners outside of Quebec may be asking themselves several questions. Uh, Why haven't they heard about the Quebec Front? What is the history behind this movement? And how can unions in other provinces learn from it? Spring organized a talk with Benoit Renaud on February 25th, 2024, to learn the answers to these questions and more. Benoit is a Quebec education worker, socialist, and a member of the Common Front. So, without further ado, let's turn it over to Benoit. So, let's just uh, go ahead and talk about those strikes. So, the first thing is the general context. Over 600,000 workers were on strike at one point or another last fall. Uh, About 420,000 of them were part of of the Common Front, or the Front Commun in en français. That included four pretty large uh, unions, uh, FTQ, Fédération des Travailleurs du Québec, CSM, CSQ, and APTS. Just to describe those a little bit, FTQ is the, is the equivalent of, for example, the Ontario Federation of Labor. Most of their members are in the private sector, but they have a good number of public sector workers affiliated as well, including members of QP, for example, and uh, municipal workers. For the provincial public sector, which is what concerns us uh, today, uh, there's a lot of FTQ members that are support staff in uh, the education sector or people who work in kitchens of hospitals and that types uh, of jobs. 
CSN, uh, Centrale des Syndicats Nationaux, has a lot of public sector workers in it, especially in the healthcare and social services areas. Uh, CSQ, Centrale des Syndicats du Québec, has mostly teachers as their members. I'm also a member of that union because I'm part of the Federation of Education Professionals, including you know, speech therapists, uh, psychologists, and all kinds of uh, different professions that are not teachers, but uh, work in the education sector. APTS, their members are in the healthcare area, and essentially they're professionals in the healthcare sector that are not doctors or nurses. All kinds of specialties having to do with uh, lab work or, um, you know, uh, various uh, jobs in the in the healthcare sector. So uh, overall, the, these four unions together were representing the majority of workers in the provincial public sector in Quebec. There were also two significant players that were not members of the Common Front, Fédération Autonome de l'Enseignement, FAE, which has about 65,000 teachers as their members. It's less than the number of teachers in the CSQ, but still a, a significant number uh, of teachers. There's a, that union is the result of a split from CSQ that goes back to uh, 2006. And the main nurses union, uh, FIC, Fédération Interprofessionnelle de la Santé, have most nurses and also other healthcare workers uh, in their organization. And I can mention right away that FIC in particular still has not concluded their bargaining, but um, for Francamar, it's done and for FAE as well. Something to mention as part of the context of that particular round of bargaining is that the previous round of bargaining uh, in 2020 led to what I would call a bit of a, bit of a pause button uh, on the struggle because uh, the government didn't want to get into a major fight with public sector unions right at the beginning of the pandemic. Like it, the, those negotiations took place in 2020. Um, and so the result of, of that particular round of bargaining was a series of three-year contracts, which was quite unusual. For the past several decades, it's been five-year terms for the collective agreements. And so in 2020, this the unions and the government signed for three years. And that's why by 2023, we were again in a round of bargaining. The reason for that, I believe, is that the government decided to postpone their attacks on public sector workers until after the next provincial election, which took place in the, the fall of 2022, but not too far after that election. They didn't want to wait until 2025, which would have put them just a year before the following election in 26. So they wanted the bargaining to happen at the early in their term, uh, in their second term, because that government has been in power since 2018, so that they could attack public sector workers in a pretty nasty way and hope to get away with it and that people would forget about that by the time the 2026 election was going to take place. And we'll get back to that at the very end. It is essentially a boss's government. The François Legault, the Quebec prime minister, François Legault um, 
was the CEO of an airline uh, before he got into politics. Then he was with Parti Québécois for a while. He was a cabinet minister, including minister of education for a number of years. And he created a new party in 2011 called Coalition Avenir Québec, which explicitly uh, aimed at bringing together people from the Parti Québécois and the Liberal Party, which are, were the, the two main parties at the time. And they present themselves or, you know, uh, see themselves as being national Quebec nationalists, but they're not in favor of independence. So uh, sometimes we call that being autonomist. So wanting Quebec to have more autonomy, but not becoming independent. An element of uh, historical background I should bring up now is uh, why we have these broad coalitions of unions in the public sector in Quebec that we call uh, common fronts. This, the first one uh, and the most important one in various ways was one that happened in 1972 in the spring that brought together at the time the three main unions in Quebec, FTQ and CSN we've already talked about and also CEQ at the time, which were uh, E for enseignement um, or enseignant. So it was like only uh, teachers or were part of that union at the time in 72. So these three unions together um, formed the Common Front back in 72. And the reason why it was so important that that movement and that strike, well, there are several reasons. Uh, one of them is that it was the culmination of many years of struggle and organizing that took place um, and with a turning point in the 1960s when the Quebec government took over uh, healthcare and education institutions that had been previously managed by uh, private institutions, mostly Catholic uh, institutions uh, at the time, and so there was a these 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 private organizations became public services, both in education, healthcare, and other areas. And also in the 1960s, there was a massive increase in what those organizations could provide. And there was the creation of new uh, educational institutions, including all the you know, number of colleges and universities and all kinds of, you know, there was a lot of building of public um, services going on at that time. So a massive increase in the number of public sector workers at the same time that there was a centralization of management. You know, they went from having hundreds of private institutions all independent from each other to all those workers having essentially one boss, which was the provincial government that logically brought the union movement and say, well, if we want to have, um, you know, a strong uh, union movement in negotiating with uh, the government, we need to come together. And um, they create that, uh, that common front back in 72. And another reason why it's a very important event in uh, Quebec labor history is that at some point, the government got a court injunction uh, making further strikes illegal. There had already been some uh, strike days. They, they made those illegal through a court injunction. And uh, the three leaders of those main unions, FTQ, CSN, and CEQ, all three uh, leaders made speeches basically encouraging their members to go on strike anyway and defy that injunction. And as a result, they were 
found guilty of contempt of court and uh, sentenced to a year in prison. That sent a massive shockwave <laughs> through all, all Quebec society and in particular the union movement, and not surprisingly. And um, as a result, many private sector workers decided to go on strike to protest against uh, the imprisonment of the union leaders. And that brought about the biggest uh, general strike in, in Quebec history in the spring of 72. And I, I would argue that it was the most uh, militant mobilization by workers anywhere in Canada since uh, the Winnipeg general strike of uh, 1919. So that had a significant impact on Quebec history and on the history of the union movement as a whole. Um, one, maybe one last thing to mention in terms of the history, you might be wondering why isn't there in Quebec one big federation of labor uh, where everybody could be together all the time instead of coming together every five years or so uh, as in a common front and then going back their separate ways a few months later. And uh, historically, the main reason for that is that uh, in the 1920s and 30s, many unions were formed on the basis of uh, being Catholic uh, unions, mostly uh, in regions of Quebec where the population was massively Catholic and where that would not you know, create a big problem for some of the workers to be members of Catholic unions in newly industrialized uh, towns, you know, like uh, in various parts of Quebec, like outside of Montreal and Quebec City, where you already had quite a, a good number of unionized workers. But in the other regions of Quebec where industries were relatively new and workers were massively just coming from the countryside and were overwhelmingly uh, French-speaking and Catholic, there was a, a basis there for a Catholic union movement. And CSM uh, comes from that history, and but they, they abandoned their cat, the Catholic part of their um, their organization uh, around 1960, around the same time when uh, the liberals took power and started uh, those massive reforms of education and healthcare I was mentioning earlier. Another thing to remember um, is that about 10 years later in 1982 and 1983, there was another massive struggle between the public sector unions and the Quebec government, but that one was a defeat. In 1972, overall, at the end, it was a victory. The union movement won quite a bit in that round of bargaining and throughout the 70s. But in the early 80s, there was a Parti Québécois government. So uh, the, the headline there says, uh, Loi Matraque, which is a law that is like the stick that cops use to beat up demonstrators. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how to translate that one, but um, so that one was a was a, a, a brutal defeat for the union movement, and in part it was so hard for people because public sector workers had been like like one of the most important part of the base of the Parti Québécois, which took power in 1976, a few years after that big strike of '72. And the fact that that government, which was seen as being progressive and social democrat and 
the government that passed uh, a law banning scabs and uh, other progressive legislation, the fact that it's that party that a lot of public sector workers, including both my parents, uh, saw as their party, a party that was supposed to be on their side, the fact that they had brutally attacked the public sector workers, especially the teachers in 81-83, uh, with back-to-work legislation and massive wage cuts and all of that, it, it led to a lot of demoralization and uh, many people quit uh, Parti Québécois around that time and just, you know, were very much disillusioned with that particular party. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind because the Quebec labor movement has been trying to overcome the impact of that defeat ever since. Like it took about 40 years to get over that particular defeat and bring back the level of militancy that we could see um, before that. Let's get to the actual strikes. You know, that was the, the headline <laughs> for the presentation is the strikes uh, of uh, 2023. Members of uh, Common Front, and you have the, the logos of the uh, four uh, main unions there. They were on strike for about nine days, like for most of them. Uh, in at various moments throughout November and December, about nine days total. But the strike mandates, the strike votes that took place uh, mostly in September, gave to the leaders of Franc Camar basically a blank check to put these 420,000 people on strike whenever. Like <laughs> it was a very, very broadly uh, worded motion that basically allowed them to bring us on strike whenever they saw fit, including and up to an unlimited general strike if we had to go that far um, to get a satisfactory collection of collective agreements. That ultimate um, you know, uh, mobilization of having an unlimited general strike did not happen. Um, tentative agreements were signed at the end of December following the nine days or so of strike that we had. Uh, a bit earlier in the fall. One other thing to mention about the strike itself is that the strike votes were very strong, like all over the play, all over the the movement. Like in in my union, uh, we had a general meeting where we uh, passed that motion that gave a blank check to the leaders of Franc Commun to put us on, on strike whenever they wanted. Uh, when we adopted that motion at my general meeting, only two people out of about 200 who attended that meeting voted against the strike mandate. And there were similar levels of support for going on strike all over healthcare sector, education sector, you name it. All those strike votes were very strong with very high levels of attendance uh, at those general meetings. So there was no doubt like that those strike mandates were real and were very, very strong, including with FIO with their unlimited general strike mandate. They had very, very strong votes uh, among their members, in spite of the fact that they don't have a strike fund. So that's something we should keep in mind. Uh, there was a point uh, on November 23rd, on that day when the FIE strike started, Franck Hammer was also on strike on that day, and also the nurses. So on that day, November 23rd of 2023, about 600,000 workers were on strike at the same time. And 
not surprisingly, every time there was a strike, every time there was a massive uh, mobilization all through the fall, the government improved their offer a little bit, you know. At first, the government offer in terms of wages, for example, which is like the easiest one uh, to relate to, uh, was 9% of wage increases over five years, which, as you can probably, you know, conclude right away, is under inflation. Uh, and so they were offering us to have less purchasing power um, at the end of the, of the contract than at the beginning. And the union movement would simply not go for that. But it took many days on strike and some massive demonstrations all over Quebec to pressure the government to improve that offer. And ultimately, the, the tentative agreement for the entire Front Commun was uh, for a wage increase of 17.4% over five years, including 6% the first year. And if inflation is higher than the planned uh, wage increase, then that could be a... Uh, topped up by up to another 1%. So if inflation is really high over the next few years, uh, we can end up having over 20% of wage increase over five years. And that's certainly not what the government intended to be the end result of the negotiation. Also, uh, at the beginning of negotiations, the government was trying to uh, impose significant cuts to uh, retirement plans for public sector workers. And after just a few days of being on strike, uh, they gave up on that particular front. And what made the, the negotiations last until the end of December was the fact that on top of the central negotiation with wages and pensions and these issues, there were also separate negotiations for each sector, each group of workers, like teach, like for example, for us, education professionals, we have our own collective agreement. So they, they have to conclude negotiations at each one of those specific bargaining tables before there was a global tentative agreement for the whole franc and that was a bit tricky. And actually one of the federations inside my union, uh, CSQ, uh, rejected the tentative agreement and they're still negotiating. Uh, but overall, franc has now concluded uh, their negotiation and uh, for Common Front, uh, the average uh, vote uh, to ratify the collective agreements was around 74%, which is pretty strong. It's not like the 95% and more of the strike votes, but it's still a, a pretty solid uh, majority, which, and there was nothing like a movement to vote no. Like some people voted no, some people were disappointed, especially for the specific a tentative agreement for their own sector, for their own job. People were generally okay with the wage, wages and pensions and that that side of the agreement, the central uh, bargaining. But in some sectors, the specific collective agreements for each job and, and working conditions, um, there were there was some disappointment uh, on that front. And notably, that one little federation inside my union that rejected the tentative agreement was the one uh, that had nurses as members. And as I mentioned uh, at the very beginning, nurses union still doesn't have 
uh, a tentative agreement as we speak. For Fédération Autonome de l'Enseignement, those who were on strike with no strike pay for 22 days, uh, they were expecting much better than what they got. And it's, again, it was not an issue of wages and pensions and all of that. It was working conditions for teachers. They were really, really hoping that they would improve the situation in schools. And the tentative agreement that was signed both by the teachers' union part of Franck Hammer and by FAE, that tentative agreement, they're very similar, both of them, obviously, because it's the same uh, type of work. People were very disappointed that there wasn't more progress in terms of the quality you know, of working conditions and quality of uh, education, uh, public education uh, as a result. So the votes for FAE, there are nine uh, local or regional unions part of FAE. Five of them voted in favor of the uh, agreement and four voted against. And uh, they needed to have at least five out of nine <laughs> to vote in favor of the agreement for it to pass. So it passed like by a very, very thin margin. And the margin in favor in the five unions that voted for it was much smaller than the margin against in the four unions that voted against. So it was a complex calculation overall. So it barely passed. And uh, I'm expecting that there's going to be a lot of difficult discussions going on inside FAE uh, in terms of assessing their strategy and the result of this particular mobilization. There's two more things I want to bring up. One is the impact of that mobilization on the political landscape in Quebec. I believe it has had a significant impact. As I mentioned earlier, the current government was elected first in 2018 and then re-elected in 2022. And at that election, on October 3rd of 2022, they, they got 41% of the popular vote and 90 out of 125 members of the National Assembly. So it was an overwhelming victory. And you can tell uh, from those numbers there that no one came close <laughs> to being second. Like it was a fight for third place <laughs> among the other parties all getting between 13 and 15 and a half percent of the votes and quite a few seats. So the government thought that they had a very strong mandate coming out of the election in October 22. But the latest opinion polls that were done in January, like after that massive wave of strikes, brought CAC down from 41% to 22%. So they lost half of their popular support. <laughs> Uh, over the past couple of years, well, a year and a half, actually, from October 22 until January of 24. It's, um, you know, not even a year and a half. And they lost half their support. And it's not just only because of that strike, but I think it's to a large extent because of that strike. I suspect that among the 600,000 public sector workers, uh, a good number voted for CAC. Uh, back in October of 22 and regretted their vote <laughs> afterwards when they saw what kind of bosses government or uh, government employer uh, they actually are. So far, it has benefited mostly Parti Québécois, which, as I mentioned, uh, was historically a party seen as being on the side of the unions, uh, especially in their first decade or so, like uh, through the 70s. And uh, so there are other reasons why votes are going from CAC to the PQ. There's been, um, you know, 
kind of a competition between those two parties on the common political terrain of uh, conservative Quebec nationalism, I would call that. What, first, what Quebec Solidaire did during the strike was, I would say, pretty good. <laughs> uh, our 12 uh, members of the National Assembly were all over picket lines and demos and talking to workers and expressing their support in various ways and also attacking the government at the National Assembly in various ways. There was a lot of good work done uh, by uh, our only uh, left-wing party in Quebec uh, in support of that struggle. Um, and But there's one element of the party's work that is still weak and could be much better, and it is of organizing members of Quebec Solidaire who also happen to be members of unions. Uh, it's been an ongoing effort. Um, Back in 2016, we finally recognized in the bylaws of the party that there are things called uh, activist networks, uh, les réseaux militants, uh, which allow members to be organized based on what social movement they're involved with, uh, rather than just where they live and what riding uh, they happen to live in uh, on the provincial election map. Uh, which is the you know the basic structure of any political party, uh, obviously. But uh, we've been uh, working hard for a long time to uh, make it as important as possible to bring members of Quebec Solidaire together based on social movements and not just election uh, needs. And uh, just last fall, there was a Quebec Solidaire convention right here where I live uh, in Gatineau. Um, and it so happens that that Quebec convention took place right after that historic day of strike of November 23rd. It was just the weekend after that, that we had our convention. And one of the decisions made at that convention was to finally give a vote to those activist networks in at national meetings, the right to vote and also make motions and all of that. Uh, so to have a, a more important uh, place in the structure and, um, one thing that we should be working on over the next few years until the next round of bargaining uh, is to build that network of activists who are members of Quebec Solidaire because one of the advantages of that kind of network of activists is that it, it's across all, all union affiliations. You know, We have a quite fractured labor movement in Quebec and having a network of activists that are in all the different unions, all the different regions of Quebec, uh, talking themselves and uh, uh, figuring things out uh, is something that could be strategically very important for the future. And uh, why was the so strong, you know, that a lot of people went on strike for a month with no strike pay? Um, I think a lot of it is just decades of accumulated frustration at the gradual but constant decline of public services and you know people are trying to do their jobs <laughs> and they're not given the, the tools that they need to do it and uh, so people were fighting for public services like it wasn't just a slogan like that's really what people had in their minds we want to fight for social services because the governments have been undermining those services for decades and now we have an opportunity to do that because we're going to be you know, 600,000 strong plus, 
you know, family members and friends and like, <laughs> that's a lot of people. <laughs> the whole notion of victory or defeat is a bit tricky in this situation because, you know, social services will or will continue to be in a really bad state, you know, uh, even after that struggle. And the fact that we won on the wages part of it uh, and the pensions, well, that's great, you know. Um, the alternative, it, like it's much better than the alternative, which would have been to accept what the government was offering and, and suffer a historic defeat like the one of 1982-83. That would have been completely awful. And the fact that there was something like a victory, but only a partial victory, will have a strong impact, I believe, on future struggles, not just for the labor movement, but all kinds of other movements. People have seen, okay, there was mobilizing, and the government made concessions. Oh, how interesting is that? So it might give people ideas. The question then becomes, how did we manage to at, at least not lose <laughs> and win some stuff, in spite of the fact that there's very little rank-and-file organizing and rank-and-file networking in our union movement, I think it's because of the overwhelming solidarity among the broader population. Like, the government was stuck. Like, they were completely stuck. Like, opinion polls were giving support to public sector workers of something like 75% of the overall population was supporting the workers, you know, like, including during the strikes. So... There was a very, very broad level of support. Even there was, there were even like collections of food, you know, for striking workers, especially the teachers. People were gathering food like they would do, you know, for the Christmas uh, baskets or whatever. Like people were collecting donations from random people to, to give groceries to striking teachers and at least two private sector unions, I believe it was Stewart, one other um, union that was not on strike, two unions gave $100,000 each for groceries for people on strike. Like, <laughs> like that, that was the level, you know, of solidarity overall uh, around that strike. One key thing I didn't mention, how come the media in the rest of Canada barely mentioned that struggle? Like, at all like even we had over half a million people on strike and massive demonstrations and basically a, an earth-shattering mobilization changing the political landscape like it didn't seem to interest the cbc or you know all those main media that's in the rest of canada by contrast the what we could call the mainstream media or the corporate media or um in Quebec was actually part of the mobilizing in some way because they were following it so closely. Like they were monitoring everything. Like I don't remember in my life seeing the mass media being so interested in the details of what's the percentage of people who voted for uh, going on strike and the issue of public sector struggle was in the media all the time for two full solid months that made it impossible for the government uh, to escape and um, uh, and one of the reasons why the government had to back off and make this 
concessions and abandon a lot of their attacks is that they made major mistakes themselves. And I, I have to mention that before we uh, end this talk that just a few months before, like while the, ne the negotiations were already happening with the public sector unions, the CAC government passed at the National Assembly a wage increase of $30,000 for every single member of the National Assembly. And, you know, and the liberals voted with CAC in favor of that one. So people in the government gave themselves a wage increase equivalent to the entire annual wage of lowest paid public sector workers. That's That was their bonus, you know, that's how much the increased their wages, you know, from 100 to 130,000 uh, for some of them. So they did that while the negotiations were happening. And what were we expecting? Like, of, of course, Quebec Solidaire and the unions all hammered on that nail, like, as much as they could, you know, okay, you're giving yourselves a uh, wage increase of 80%, but you're offering 90% over five years to nurses and teachers and so on. So that looked completely awful. And that's when I believe they started their uh, decline in popular support. And it was obvious to a lot of people how much people in government were not, didn't understand what was going on in public services and among public sector workers and you know, yeah, how how much they uh, obviously part of a different social class and a different world in, in, in some ways. So the last thing I'll say before um, we end this, uh, this very nice uh, <laughs> session is maybe a, a next topic that we could discuss would be what's going on with Quebec politics more broadly, because there is a lot going on. And I'm pretty sure you would have uh, interesting, interesting things to say and some good questions on that front as well, but uh, I don't know when and how that would happen, but I think it would be, uh, you know, a very useful thing to do to uh, discuss more in depth what's going on in Quebec politics right now, because it's it's significant and elements of it are kind of scary and, and um, yeah, it would be good to um, have a chat about that too at some point, but that's my uh, my pitch for a future discussion. So thank you again for to uh, Spring Magazine for inviting me and that very, very good discussion. Today's episode on the Common Front included many important insights and lessons for the labor movement, especially for comrades outside of Quebec. Benoit spoke about several factors that created conditions for the Common Front strike and its success. The first was an arrogant right-wing government, a government that is creating a crisis in public services and which is actively provoking public sector workers. The second related factor was a passionate rank-and-file. Public sector workers were tired of watching the government neglect and erode public services while they work tirelessly to keep these services afloat. The third was a sympathetic public. Just as we saw with education workers in Ontario in 2022, public opinion largely supported the striking public sector workers, which in turn put more pressure on the government to accept their demands. 
Lastly, the workers were united in solidarity across unions and sectors. By negotiating together, the members were able to exercise strength in numbers and improve their bargaining position. Instead of being divided and conquered, they were united and victorious. Of course, every province has its own unique past and present, which help determine what strategy will be effective. For instance, in Ontario, Alberta, and PEI, healthcare workers do not have the right to strike. But this doesn't really change the fundamental lesson that should be drawn from the recent success of the Quebec Common Front, that the people united will never be defeated. Thank you to Benoit Renault for speaking with Spring and for sharing his knowledge and experience. You can follow Benoit on Twitter at Benwarino. That's B-E-N-W-A-R-E-N-O. This episode was produced on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendelt people. It was produced by Carly McPhee, Spencer Bridgman, and me, Sarah Shahid, with original music by Benjamin Bilkin. To read and listen to more from Spring, and to find out how to join the Spring Socialist Network, please go to springmag.ca.